before we get started this week, we wanted to offer a little disclaimer. We try to be a family-friendly show, and this episode has a little bit of talk about reproduction and the birds and the bees. Nothing graphic, but if you have young kids with you and you don't feel like answering questions, uh, this might be an episode to use some discretion. Thanks so much, and enjoy the show. So I'm a scientist. And I'm not, but I'm curious about science. She asks a lot of questions. I ask a lot of questions. And it's always fun for me to explain complex science in understandable ways. So, so we, we made, made a podcast. podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode three of So I Married a Scientist. I'm Corey. And I'm Mel, and we are going to talk today about something I'm very excited about. Komodo dragons. Kimono dragons? Isn't that how... Like Isn't the, I... the clothing article? Wait, how do you say it? So if you're talking about the large species of monitor lizard, it's Komodo dragon. Oh, fine. Okay, Komodo dragons. That's what I want to talk about today. Can we talk about Komodo dragons? We can absolutely talk about Komodo dragons. Yes. Before we do that, though, we have a couple things. First of all... We have a retraction. We have a, tra- <laughs> we have a retraction <laughs> slash correction. Our producer slash my mother, Amy, said, she didn't actually say, she texted a logo of the CDC. <laughs> yes, she had issue with me calling it the center of disease control, which is true. From it the is flu no episode. longer called the center of disease control. It was actually never called the center of disease control. <laughs> it was always called the center for disease control. And prevention. But, Get yes, it right. in 1981, it changed to the center's for disease control and then more recently it has become the centers for disease control and prevention did you wikipedia this so hard i did i needed to prove to myself that i wasn't completely wrong she sent us the logo the use of <laughs> of in the middle was my mistake the centers of it's, or it should centers I, for. it's always four and i had it in my head that it was the center's or the center of disease control. Okay. And that was that was incorrect. The centers for disease control and prevention. Yes. There you go, Amy. I will never get it wrong again, I promise. <laughs> never. Never. <laughs> the logo's burned into my brain. It's there. We love you, Amy. Thanks for helping us produce the show. Secondly, we had a listener question. A listener question. From our flu episode. All right. The Let's question was, can dogs and cats get the flu and should I be worried about my pet? Okay, so that's a good question. So we did discuss other species of animals that could catch influenza A, like bats and pigs and different types of birds. And we established that I would not turn into a vampire. Right. So there are flu strains that target dogs and cats. They're just not the ones that humans have. Wow. So there's no cross between humans and our pets in terms of flu strains, unless you have pet ducks or chickens. We, we have pet ducks. Which we do. Oh, my God. So we might have to be a little bit worried, but not well, really. I always wash my hands thoroughly after touching the ducks. Well, the duck issue with washing your hands is actually salmonella more so than it Ew. is flu. That'll but. make you sick. Yeah, that'll make you sick. Okay, so we've established that dogs and cats can get the flu. Right. But humans cannot get the flu from dogs and cats. Because it's a different strain of flu. Yeah. So, but if your dog or cat gets the flu, how do you know? Well, I think they would just be generally lethargic. You know, I don't know the exact symptoms, but... 
We're not vets. We're not vets. We're not doctors. Just like we're not doctors, we're, we're also not, not vets. vets. <laughs> but yeah, I think you would just take them into the, into the vet's the vet. office. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's nice. I mean, maybe that's a good old domestication history that we can't get diseases from each other for the most part. Yeah, and that's, that's good. Okay. Well, we're not vets. Anyway, moving on to Komodo dragons. Yeah. So let's talk about Komodo dragons. Where are my dragons? Okay. Listen, so you know how we both have an immense love for David Attenborough. I do love some David Attenborough. That's true. He's a spectacular human being. He is. David, if you're listening, we love you so much. Anyway, I was watching on Netflix a whole series uh, thing on Komodo dragons, and it was so amazing. And I've always been fascinated by them, but they're even more amazing than I even realized. So the documentary said that they're not poisonous, but they're kind of like they're poisonous. Do you have thoughts on this? Explain what they meant. What they meant was that they don't have poison, but their mouths are just so nasty in there and so full of junk and bacteria that when they bite a target, like a prey, like a, I think it was a water buffalo in this case, the bite is just so festering with nasty bacteria that the animal goes into sepsis immediately or very quickly. Okay, I have a, I have a couple questions about this documentary. Well, okay, but you don't have science questions for me because we've established that I'm not the scientist. I yeah. I'm just repeated what I saw on TV. So I have a couple questions about this documentary. Okay, was it produced before or after 2013? I don't know. All right. So interestingly, yes. All of the science about a Komodo dragon bite has changed in recent years. What? So this theory that they had just like this festering mouth with serrated teeth and bits of decomposing meat and that's how they killed their prey, not really backed up by the research that's been done recently. So they are poisonous? So, sort of. Okay. They did a lot of studies on this, maybe in response to this documentary, I don't know. Who knows? About the hygiene of the Komodo dragon mouth. Okay. And from what I've seen recently, they actually think that their mouths are pretty clean. Oh, but if if I got bit by one, yes. What would happen? So, what they think is they have a couple glands that are slightly toxic, so they do have some sort of ability to secrete venom. Ugh. But the reason why they initially had this sepsis hypothesis was because they saw a lot of prey animals like water buffaloes that were dying of sepsis after they got bit by Komodo dragons. And so the plausible theory behind that was... They're just nasty. They just have these nasty mouths and they eat, you know, carcasses and decaying bodies. But a lot of animals eat carcasses. Right. So, but they were tying it to the fact that they have these serrated teeth. And, you know, right after they were eating these things, they could see bits and pieces of meat left in the teeth. And And they thought that that's... Right. No, they're certainly not flossing. But they do rub their heads on things and lick their lips and all that just to get the stuff off. But the research that was done now hypothesizes that one of the escape responses of a water buffalo is to, once they get bitten, immediately run into the water. And if they run into contaminated water then they can get sepsis from the contaminated water in the open With an bite. open wound. Oh, and then okay. they die of the sepsis. Oh, that's really sad. So, okay. I don't know if there's a 100% consensus on this, but when they looked at captive 
Komodo dragons, they don't see this sepsis bacteria thing going on. Okay, well, let's back up then. Sure. Komodo dragons are amazing because they're kind of like dinosaurs that are alive today. Is this right? Are they? They're kind of like alligators or crocodiles, but they're not at all. Like if you smashed a crocodile together with an iguana, is that about right? They kind of look like an oversized iguana mixed with some crocodile or alligator. Yeah. Why are they called a dragon then? I mean, dragons are supposed to have wings. They're supposed to spit fire. Yeah, they're not really the true sense of a dragon. But they're a big reptile. Yeah. The biggest. Wait. No, Wait. they're the biggest lizard left lizard. on the planet. Because yeah. crocodiles are definitely bigger than Komodo dragons. Yes. These, what do you think These things win weigh about 150 pounds. And crocodiles weigh like 800 pounds. They weigh significantly more, yes. Which one do you think would win in a fight? Oh, definitely a crocodile. Definitely a crocodile? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. These are terrifying. Yeah. Well, um, okay, so Komodo dragons live in, where are they from? They're from some islands off of Indonesia. Can you imagine finding one of those things? You're just like sailing around in your boat and you're like, oh, it's a lovely day. I'm in Indonesia. Look at all these beautiful plants and flora and fauna. What the heck is that? Yes. So these are very isolated creatures. So one of the reasons why they think that they have grown as large as they have is because they're the only predators like them on the islands. So they can grow pretty big. They just rule the world. There's no competition. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, they have these really long forked tongues. Yeah, they're they're interesting looking. You should go Google one if you haven't seen one. They're awesome, actually. They kind of waddle. They look really funny when they're walking. Yeah. They kind of hang out in packs, which you wouldn't think that. They do, although they also are cannibals if what? food is scarce. Yeah. So the, uh, this is what I'm saying. There, there's so many really cool things about Komodo dragons. Wow. Um, yeah. Ooh. So if their prey is too sparse they will actually attack each other how come there are no sports teams named after the kimono dragons i I feel like they're like there go to the dragons down the field that would be a good one to be if i had a sports team that's what i would name them and i would make sure that all the team members had capes capes yeah all right to go with the theme like here's my cape for my dragon team i'm a huge sports fan clearly All right, so Komodo dragons, we are talking about them specifically for one reason that a lot of people don't know that I recently found out from my friend Susie. Hi, Susie, if you're listening. She told me that Komodo dragons can clone themselves without a mate. What? Okay, so the use of clone there, slightly inaccurate. Dragon clone army! However... They can reproduce through asexual means, which is a concept known as parthenogenesis. Parthenogenesis. And it is real. Wow. But it's not cloning in the way that we typically think of cloning, where you get an exact replica of what you started with. So it's not like mama dragon or daddy dragon. It's just like plop, like plops out a clone and (laughs) it's an exact clone. It's not like that. Yes, it's actually quite a bit different than that. (laughs) So the way it actually happens, and we can discuss why this is the case, but all offspring in Komodo dragons that happen through asexual reproduction come from a female, but all of the offspring are male. Okay, let's talk about asexual reproduction first. I have like eight questions from that. Asexual means... Without sex. Without sex. Yeah. Okay, so you didn't have the act of coitus to produce... 
Correct. An heir yes. to your dragon so throne. So the way that this was originally discovered was in a London zoo, they had a female who hadn't been with a male for a pretty long time, like well beyond the natural gestation period of a Komodo dragon. She could not get preggers. Not possible. all of a sudden, she was having offspring. What? So the initial theory, and again, science is all about hypotheses and then theories, and then you test it. Test it. The initial hypothesis was that Komodo dragons had this unique ability to store sperm and then, you know, at a later date, if they couldn't find a mate, they could just use some of that sperm to fertilize their eggs and then have offspring. <laughs> like a little sperm backpack? Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. let's little, just save it for later. A little reservoir kind of thing going <laughs> on. So that was the initial <laughs> hypothesis, uh, but that was proven wrong based on the analysis of the offspring. Well, what if people could do that? I don't think we should include that. I don't think we should include that either. Let's not do that. I don't think we should that. tie this to A whole to thought experiment. Yeah. That's, okay. Yeah. We'll cut that out. Or maybe not. Maybe we'll feel like leaving it in. <clears throat> okay. So this Komodo dragon in the zoo was like, I don't need no man. And she, <laughs> she, they thought she just saved some sperm and yep. she just made some babies for herself. Right. But then how did they figure out something different than that? Yeah. So they looked at the offspring and determined that there were some interesting genetic markers in the offspring, which made it clear that both sets of chromosomes came from the same individual, in this case, the mother. Okay. So in order to understand this, we're going to have to back up a little bit. Go to chromosomes and all that. I remember this from long ago in science class. So in normal sexual reproduction, you get a set of chromosomes from each parent. Chromosomes are what now? Yeah. So the things that you're DNA is packed into and holds your genetic material. In humans, you have 23 pairs. They look of like chromosomes. little worms. They look like little that. X's. X's. When they pair up, yeah. When, okay. So if you've ever seen. That's why they're called an X and a Y chromosome because they actually look like an X and a Y? No. So. What? <laughs> the, the X and the Y component are completely just arbitrary designations. Oh, okay. I got excited for a minute. But the X does have two things. So it does look like. An X. An X. That's not confusing at all. Okay, so continue. So chromosome holds the DNA? Yes, the chromosome is what all the DNA that encodes your body. All the stuff. Are packed into. The blueprints of your... Blueprints of everything. ...person. But what is the chromosome itself? Is it like a little it's, container? It It's DNA that's wound and wound and wound and then wound some more and wrapped around proteins and compacted into this really tight network of DNA for reproduction. So like, have you ever seen someone make a ball out of rubber bands? Is it like that? If all the rubber band was the same line of DNA. So like a big plate of spaghetti. If all the spaghetti was one one line of noodle. Like in uh, Lady and the Tramp. But in that case, the meatball would be providing some structure to... What meatball? Yeah, so (laughs) in the spaghetti, you have these meatballs. Yeah. That's kind of like a histone. Oh. And that histone helps pack all of the, the DNA in a nice, neat, orderly way. But that's not like actual meatballs at all. Well, they don't do that. They just sit in there. Well, I was trying to okay. expand on your analogy. What about the fork? Yeah, the fork doesn't really that's, that come doesn't, into play that, here. Okay. No. All right. So if the meatball was providing structure to the spaghetti. Yes. And the spaghetti was one long noodle. Yep. And that noodle was made out of DNA. 
Yep. No. Yeah? Sure. DNA is really long like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? Okay. So it's just all squiggled up and smooshed together? Yes. And then that thing is a chromosome. <laughs> sure. Okay. We'll go with that. Okay. Basically, <laughs> a chromosome is a structure of DNA that gets passed on to subsequent cells and progeny. How many chromosomes do you get from each parent if you're a human person? So each one of us has 23 pairs of chromosomes. 23 plates of spaghetti. 23 of those would have come from the mother. 23 of those would have come from the father. And then you have 46 total chromosomes in your body. Do those plates of of spaghetti mash together and become new plates of spaghetti? No. Well, this is getting complex, but there are some cases where you get crossover of like chromosomes. So spaghetti that's similar, like you have like a pesto spaghetti and a pesto spaghetti. Right. They find each other. Yes. Yeah. Then you can get crossover of those chromosomes. But this is getting a little We'll do a whole episode on genes. Yeah, we need to table yeah. this for now. Okay, so how many chromosomes do Komodo dragons have? So Komodo dragons have 40 total chromosomes. They have eight pairs of macrochromosomes, which are much larger than the other ones. And they have 12 pairs of microchromosomes. Do we have macro and microchromosomes? So... Not really. We do have different sizes of chromosomes, but they're mostly the same size. So our plates of spaghetti are mostly the same size, but... Except for the Y chromosome, which is much shorter than all the rest of them. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, is that why it's called Y? Because it's got like missing a little piece? Eh, not really. No, okay. So Komodo dragons, uh, they have big chromosomes, like family-sized plates of spaghettis, and then they have like little tapas-sized plates of spaghettis. Sure. Okay. Why? That's just how they're genome is organized all right so for komodo dragons do they have an x and a y no they have a slightly different system so it's called z and w sex determination okay and that's slightly different but the same sort of principle applies where you get one copy from your mother one copy from your father and then it determines the difference is the zz top (laughs) yeah I i don't think zz top had any thing to do with the naming system but okay yeah um, that's too bad yeah so zz is a male okay so the like chromosomes in komodo dragons are male are male okay and zw is the female female. okay so what is parthenogenesis parthenogenesis is a form of asexual reproduction where offspring are generated without sexual reproduction so you don't have a male in the equation in this case. So why don't they just call it asexual reproduction? Is it a type of asexual? It's a type of okay. asexual So that's the umbrella term. So in bacteria, asexual reproduction is like just splitting in half, like budding. Cloning? Yeah. So those are closer Cl- to clones. Closer yeah. to clones. Okay. Because they're just splitting in half. You call them buds? Yeah. So like, hey, other forms bud. of asexual reproduction can be found in plants. I found out recently that plants have genders, some of them, but some of them do not. Well, each flower has a male part and a female part. Inside of it? Inside the flower. So is that considered asexual if they don't need a mate? So Or is the male and female part in the flower mating with itself? Well, so the flowers try not to mate with themselves. That's why you need things like pollinators, which we can do an episode on. Oh, we have to. Yeah. I love um, bees. But other forms of asexual reproduction in plants include when you get those little offshoot growths that then root and become their own suckers sure i think they're called suckers i don't actually or volunteers there you go i love gardening yeah so that would be a form of asexual reproduction okay interesting 
Yeah, so a lot of invertebrate animal species, like bees and other insects and crustaceans and arachnids, they also have some forms of asexual reproduction. And a lot of them also use parthenogenesis. It's also seen in some species of fish and reptiles. Obviously, we're talking about Komodo dragons. And even some bird species have actually shown asexual reproduction through parthenogenesis in captivity. So parthenogenesis specifically is a type of asexual reproduction that does not require a mate where what happens? Yeah. So it's important to note that normally an egg and a sperm are haploid, which means that they each have one copy of chromosomes. Okay. But in the case of Komodo dragons, you have diploid offspring. Diploid. Which means you have two copies of chromosomes. Why? Well, because normally they have a copy from their mother and a copy from their father, yep. which makes every cell in their body diploid. Same with humans. So all but of we're our not ce- diploid? All of our cells are diploid. Okay. Except for the eggs and the sperm. Oh, okay. So for these Komodo dragons that are reproducing through parthenogenesis, they have to go from a haploid egg to a diploid cell. Wait, okay, so their eggs are haploid too, just yes. like our eggs. Komodo and dragons sperm. have haploid eggs and sperm. Okay. But through this unique form of parthenogenesis, the mother duplicates the chromosome. How? I, I don't we know. don't know that. Okay. She, the mother duplicates the chromosome. Yeah, it might be some evolutionary response to the fact that there aren't any males left on the island. Mm-hmm. And, hey, we need to keep the breeding population going, so we're going to just duplicate our chromosomes, make a diploid organism that is now ZZ or WW, oh. right? Because you either start with a Z or start with a W because you have a female. Now, interestingly, all the females are non-viable in Komodo dragons. So anytime you get a WW egg, it won't go anywhere. It won't produce an offspring. Okay. But if you have a ZZ, then those offspring can live, and then you get all male offspring. So when they were figuring this out, what they saw was all male offspring, but all of the Zs were the same. Whereas if it had come from a male, like if they had that stored sperm, if that was true, mm-hmm. then the Zs would have been slightly different because they would have come from two different animals. So this kind of is a dragon clone army, kind of. No, it is not a dragon clone army. It is like twins that are genetically identical to the mother, but have a different gender. Is any of that accurate? <laughs> so the best way to describe it is you're getting males from a female just by duplicating the Z chromosomes. Okay, parthenogenesis. From an evolutionary standpoint, it's one way to keep the breeding population going and keep the genes in the gene pool, but this shouldn't be a primary form of reproduction. Any organism that did this as its normal form of reproduction would very quickly die out because you don't get any diversity and any mutations that accumulate in that breeding pool would propagate further and further generations. Can you remind me why it's important to have diversity in your gene pool? I know it is important, but why? Because you would think that you'd want to pass on the exact same genes every time. Well, only if they're good genes. Okay. So if in that population you started getting genetic mutations that were 
bad for the organism, yeah, you wouldn't have a way to selectively breed that out through natural selection. That makes sense to me. But what if you have like two perfect creatures who happen to like be siblings or closely related, obviously, so they have like super identical genes and then they breed, then you, but you don't want them to pass on their genes if they're too similar, right? Well, that's because you would accumulate these mutations over time. If you keep inbreeding enough. If you keep inbreeding enough. So think of it like dogs. Dogs are actually having this problem. Yeah. Where if you have purebred dogs, then you accumulate these mutations that cause disease. Like we have golden retriever. Golden retrievers are very prone to hip dysplasia. That's a factor of the inbreeding over time. So besides Komodo dragons, are there any other creatures that have really cool parthenogenesis? Yeah, so another one that we know a lot about is honeybees. Honeybees. Um, we can do a lot of episodes on honeybees, I'm sure. Yeah. But they're interesting because their parthenogenesis is different from the Komodo dragons. So we call it XO, but it's because it's X and then no other form of chromosome. Oh. So they are haploid adults, and those are the drone male bees. Whoa. So the, in their population, in one hive, you could have XX female worker bees, yeah. You have the XX queen. Three genders. And then you no. have, well, it's it's still XX, but they were, they developed differently. Okay. Yeah. And then you have the XO haploid drone male bees. So how is that parthenogenesis? So when the XO male and the queen mate, they will generate worker bees that are XX. That part is sexual reproduction. But if that person But they will also generate okay. through asexual reproduction an XO haploid drone bee. So the XO do not need sexual reproduction to take place. Whoa. You get these drone male bees that are XO from asexual reproduction. So back to Komodo dragons. Yeah. That is so cool about bees. I had no idea. That's amazing. Bees are so incredible. So Komodo dragons, these ZZ top guys yes. that get produced by parthenogenesis. Right. The offspring of, so in that zoo, that female, that mate offspring. So that's not their primary mode of reproduction. Right. That's like an emergency measure. It's a wait, there are no more males on this island. I need to get a male emergency reproductive beacon. How does... How do creatures evolve that? Like, how, where does that even come from? Yeah, so likely what happened is you had a female that was alone on the island, and there was a genetic mutation in her eggs that caused a diploid organism, and it started to grow. And then you got this case where it was selectively kept through the population so that if there was ever a case where a female was stuck alone on an island, you could get males. That's why it wouldn't have been selected for if a WW came up because you don't need more females in that population. You only need more males. So that would have been a slightly different mutation that would have arose in the WW. So this is very specific to the ZZ needing males issue. Uh, Okay. So you know how in mules, so a mule is a donkey and a horse bred together. Right. And then the mule, more often than not, I think I remember from like eighth grade science, cannot reproduce. They're sterile. They're sterile. 
so in the case of these the parthenogenesis offspring <laughs> can they are they like normally functioning non like fertile offspring yeah i think they are in the case of komodo dragons i think they are what they've seen in other organisms like turkeys that do this turkeys uh, do it well sort of they aren't as fertile so they can reproduce through sexual means, but they're not very good at it compared to other organisms that were derived from sexual reproduction. So have we seen this happen anywhere in mammals, that mammals could reproduce without... without? Uh, no, as far as I know, there aren't any mammalian species that are capable of parthenogenesis. Including humans? Including humans. Okay. Yeah, there's no evidence that would back up mammals. That someone um, could just get pregnant now, by accident. Now, in the laboratory, there are ways to induce this to happen, but it involves experiments that are not possible by nature. So the, what I mean by that is the sperm in mammals supplies a key growth factor that allows for embryonic development and without the sperm you can't get a viable embryo so could you put an artificial key growth factor right so they've done some experiments in mice where they can induce an egg egg combination and then get a viable embryo from it by just adding in that growth factor in the lab i heard this is really promising for same-sex couples who want offspring is that right? Yeah, so it would be possible for two females to have an offspring if this research continues to be productive. Through artificial parthenogenesis. Correct. And I think they've also been trying to do an XXY combination as well, but I can't speak to that very well. Hmm. That is so cool. So this has just been so fascinating. Um, before we wrap up, are there any other cool research possibilities with Komodo dragons that people might want to know about? Yeah, actually. So really recently, they actually discovered a peptide in the blood of Komodo dragons. What's a peptide? A small protein that doesn't fold into a bigger protein. Okay. It's like a sequence of amino acids that's not quite a protein. Okay. So small little amino acid. A little thingy. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> String of amino acids. Okay. Yeah, but this has some really cool antimicrobial properties and could be a way to combat multi-drug resistant bacteria or biofilms, which are really resistant communities of bacteria that live on certain things. Like people who have catheters have really big issues with biofilm generation and combating that. So this could give us another tool in combating multi-drug resistance as our antibiotics become less effective against bacteria. Oh my goodness. And as we established in our flu episode, antibiotics are only for bacteria, not for viruses. Correct. So this would be a, th- a little thingy in the Komodo dragon's blood right. that kills bad bacteria. Yeah, so most antibiotics currently act on a very specific set of processes in the bacteria. And as bacteria evolve, they can generate systems. And we can get into a whole episode on antibiotic resistance. Definitely got to do it. But they develop these tools to either reject or degrade the antibiotic. Now, these peptides 
give us another kind of tool in a slightly different system for combating these bacteria that they might struggle with rejecting or degrading initially. It's like a totally different weapon to fight. Yeah, it's a different class. And, you know, it could inspire some other synthetic peptides or, you know, I think a whole field is popping up right now about peptide treatments and therapies and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's really cool. That is so cool. So I guess it would kind of make sense that that would be in the Komodo dragon's blood if either of the two things are possible, but more likely like if they bite each other when they're fighting yep. so that they don't go into sepsis, that their own blood can fight bacterial infections. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they eat a lot of rotting carcasses and yeah. meat and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you could think that if they scraped themselves on something like that, they would be in environments that are very high bacterial loads. Their blood might need a way to fight off some of that. And these peptides might be the, the key to that. Amazing. Well, this has been very enlightening. We got to talk about dragons. We got to talk about blood and reproduction and all kinds of good stuff. So should we wrap it up? Yeah, I think it's time. So if you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is so I married a scientist at gmail.com or you can go to our website, so I married a scientist.com. See all the ways to get in touch with us. If you want to support the show, we would really be thankful for that because we're just literally sitting in our living room with, <laughs> with the dog. With the dog. Uh, you know, we're not in some fancy studio somewhere. We're just literally in our living room. So you know, it's nice that you could join us for this time. We are so happy that you listened. And if you like the show, uh, let people know about it. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Music by Lemonfest. Logo and marketing by Cambridge Creative Group. Edited and produced by Corey and Mel. See you next time.